Okay, live and direct from New York City. This is the Beneath the Surface podcast, and thank you for joining us. Welcome to Nation Time Strategic Planning. We are here to do our part in helping our people thrive again. Mm-hmm. I am Maury Yvetok. This is Miss Eve, and we are privileged to spark off the most recent discussion. So, what's going on, Miss Eve? How have you been doing in the midst of... So, did you hear in the sports world? What? There's a picture from the Pirates. Um, something Vasquez. The Pittsburgh Pirates? Yes. Okay. So, in the middle of baseball season, baseball season is ending. hmm He has been charged with soliciting a minor, committing oh, a lewd sex mercy. act with a minor. Now, here's, here's the thing. The girl is 15 now. He was contacting her Which about... Which means she's still a minor. Correct. Okay. He was contacting her about last month, but when they reviewed it, he was contacting her from the time she was 13. Wow. And this was a person who came to a baseball game, and he took a picture with her at the dugout. She found him on social media, mm-hmm. and then he started contacting her. Is he claiming? Well, I mean, is he claiming not to just say that it would be a justification, but Mm -hmm. is he claiming that he didn't know that she was so young? We didn't get to that part, so he hasn't entered his plea yet. However, they have text messages, and they also have, um, I believe, a video they seized. Obviously, they went to his home and seized his electronics. And um, he said they have on another count of performing a sexual act and sending it to a minor. So yeah, I don't know exactly terrible. what he performed, yeah. but they're saying that um, one of the last text messages he sent her was that he was looking forward to seeing her mm-hmm. after the baseball season. Yeah, I just I, I mean I think it's unfortunate anytime mm-hmm. you know there is a minor who is being pursued by a you know an adult, but even if the minor is pursuing the adult, the adult mm-hmm. is the one who's supposed to be developmentally mature. Correct. To know what to do in that situation. I know when I was growing up, yes, just like any other girl, we got, you know, um, approached by grown men. Right. But my father wasn't having it. <laughs> right. So so like I almost I almost didn't um didn't interact with grown men because I didn't want my dad to end up in jail. Right, right. So, yeah, it's just, I don't know. We need to do something about this because there's so much access between, you know, younger kids and adults now that there weren't, that there wasn't back then. Sure. And it's, it's easier access. It's like they, when once you have social media, you're talking to somebody behind the screen and you have that access. But one part I wanted to get out, so yeah. when it rains, it pours. Mm-hmm. That, that happened in Florida. And then the people from Pennsylvania came with additional charges wow. saying that he was soliciting a minor out there also. Okay, so this is a pattern. So, and isn't that how it usually works? So Yeah, I don't yeah. know how parents do it in, in this day and time. I'm trying to figure out what I would do. You know, I'm myself, my husband, we have a family. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it? what is it that parents can do just to protect their children when there's so much access to the rest of the world? Well, my, my idea is always educate them to okay. the type of people out in the world. And, you know, we shouldn't do that just for children. We should do that for adults also. Yeah. But especially be vigilant with our children. Mm-hmm. And also, just remember, this guy, he is, is one of the top closers in baseball. Yeah. And so you're like, <laughs> but there's no rhyme or reason to yeah. this. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, you know. I'm dealing with it. I'm realizing that, you know, there are different type of people in the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, all we all we can do 
is just learn from the lessons of others yeah. and make sure that we do the things that we need to do to protect our own. So, all right, let's put our gear on and let's dive beneath the surface. Okay. So today's topic is? Today's topic is actually a um, continuation of a series that we started several months ago called The Power of Indoctrination. Uh-huh. I think, I have to look back, but I think we already talked about indoctrination in terms of religion. Mm-hmm. And we also talked about indoctrination in terms of gender. Yes. Um, but there are a few more topics. And today we're talking about the power of indoctrination regarding race. Okay. Yeah. Any race in particular? Well, <laughs> well right. just actually just the notion of race, which we know is a social construct. But regardless of it being a construct, it's real because we have to live within that construct. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I like discussing race. So let's stay tuned and listeners, when we get back, I'm sure you're going to love this subject. Moray, the power of indoctrination. Okay. The way that our minds are being conditioned to believe one thing versus the other. One way that we're indoctrinated with respect to race has to do with aesthetics. Okay. Aesthetics, what... Uh, the standard of beauty is and how that impacts us as a nation of people. So I was looking at a USC website and um, in, in this particular scholarship has determined that the following, the, the, Eurocentri- the Eurocentric standard of beauty is an ideal that says that having white or fair skin is seen as most optimal. A popular term coined for this issue is called whitewashing of beauty, which Mm -hmm. means everyone is made lighter and more white-like in an attempt to make others or themselves more beautiful. So this is uh, support for the idea that when it comes to the way that we've been indoctrinated as a a country and even as a nation, um, the, the, the ideal is Eurocentric instead of Afrocentric. What are your thoughts about that? Um... I think when you go to any country, the people who feel they own the country are going to push images that mostly relate to them. However, I think for us as a people, and when I say us, I talk about black people, that we've been taught to push the ideal of whitewashing and drawing pictures and seeing pictures of it instead of being taught to draw and um, have have pictures of ourselves. Yeah. And so when that happens, um, is it is it right? I don't I don't have a problem with people having pictures of themselves. Okay. You have a right to express what you feel. I think it's wrong when you want me to draw pictures of you in spite of who I am. And you actually exclude certain groups and we're all part of the same country. But the question is, when it comes to our nation, that we're trying to help thrive again. And I think that the way that we've been indoctrinated and conditioned needs to be reexamined for us to develop as a strong group of people Mm -hmm. that we always have been before our history was interrupted by slavery and colonization. Right. Um, In order to to um, to do that, to grow we have to really look at the way that we've been conditioned. I'm going to bring up something that I noticed relatively recently. Mm-hmm. Almost every time in current society, mm-hmm. uh, I see 
a black man with a black woman, whether this is in an ad or on a television show, the woman is always, is almost always lighter in complexion than the man. Okay. Um, one thing I put on Twitter, for those who uh, follow me on Twitter, you, you probably saw this in the past couple of days. Um, and you're alluding to the fact that this is by design. Well, I'm going to say that I think we've been conditioned to consider women more attractive who are lighter okay. in terms of I complexion. I can agree with that. Yeah. You can agree that, that, that that's what we've been conditioned to believe? Sure. And, but I think that what I'm trying to say is that I see that it's still, even though it's 2019, I see, I see it still manifesting in what I see on media, whether it's social media or television or ads. Um, almost every time that I look, even the Proud family, I think, falls in line with that <laughs> and that that's a cartoon. The proud. So, family. and I think there's going to be a resurrection. For, <laughs> I think there's a res- there's going to be a resurrection of the proud family. Oh, the proud family. Okay. But any- but anyway, uh, so, um, but I think it's interesting. And what I put on Twitter was that if I were a space alien coming down to Earth, um, not knowing anything, I would think that black women come with lighter complexions than black men. So, do you notice that? Uh, most of the time that you see black men and black women, at least the way it's represented in media, the woman is almost always lighter than the man. And if so, where does that come from? So here's part of the indoctrination part. Um, I think that at this point in my life, there are certain images I already expect from television. Mm -hmm. So I have no high expectation of television because I'm like, you're just not going to put a dark-skinned woman out there because... It's already been taught uh, either outwardly or subliminally that the lighter you are, the better you are. It's terrible. The more beautiful you are. And so. Even if the man is dark skinned, somehow the woman can't also be dark skinned. It just blows my mind. It's amazing to me. Well. You know. It is. it, it, It will remain to be like this. If the epitome of beauty is pushed as white then no matter what you do, the closer you get to whiteness, the closer you get to perfect beauty. And it will it will always be like that. Well, I mean but as but long as that's what's being put. That's the thing. And I think that as thinking human beings, um, we have the capacity and I think we should even have the pride to oppose that, to do something um, that challenges that way of, of, of th- that we've been programmed for all of these centuries. But also when we look at the way that life works, mm-hmm. when I look at my friend group, when I look at people I've known from childhood until now, there are light-skinned men that I know who've married dark-skinned women. People yeah. m- people fall in love with who they fall in love with, but for some reason, the people, you know, they want to put on, on media the opposite. Okay, so, but here's a reality. This where we may disagree. Here's a reality. We don't, we don't necessarily need to see dark people with dark people if racism doesn't exist. Because we're like, wh- whoever you love is whoever you love. And if I decide to marry a really dark person or if I decide to marry a really light person, it shouldn't really matter because, hey, listen, we're all beautiful people. And so when we when we stop and we say that this is what needs to be seen. It's only in relation to what we're being, what's being set as the standard, not as opposed to what love is. I understand that. I'm just saying that we should still challenge um, the 
the the the way that we're being conditioned because if you don't do that mm -hmm. who's to say that you or any other boy or girl right will marry uh the person that's best for them you know it it, it will will limit ourselves based on what society has told us is attractive okay let's jump in you watch the cosby show mm -hmm. okay who was darker theo cliff no theo no, I mean, among the kids, Theo was darker. Cliff or Claire? Cliff. He was darker. Okay. Yeah. It was okay. I'm not saying that we haven't been complicit in our own Hold television on. shows. No, no. What I'm saying is yeah. it was okay because you know what? We were like, they're a loving family. Okay. Now, to your point, I get it. We did this. There has to be a way to com combat it because people are being affected by what they see. And clearly, aesthetics, optics, things of that nature affect our mood. That cannot be denied. My only point is, is that we can put black people and black people together, but unless we address the subject of what's being done, how you're being taught to think, how your mood is being affected by what's out there, then it'll never work. Yeah, so, and that's what I'm challenging us and right. our listeners to do. Mm -hmm. If you think that you have a quote-unquote preference, but your preference is a lockstep with the way What's that you've been conditioned. Let's, let's, let's talk about it for a second. What? Do you have a preference? When it comes to skin color, I have no preference at all. Is that true? It is absolutely Don't true. Don't we all have a preference? When it comes to skin color? Not necessarily. We have preferences, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in a particular category. For example, yeah. I might not have a particular preference when it comes to educational level. You know, For me, just to use, it, no, no, uh, no, use no, that as an example. No, 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 we're talking about aesthetics. Okay, all right, let's go back to aesthetics. Uh -huh. When it comes to um, skin color, no, I don't have a now quality of skin i do have a preference <laughs> wow what so, are we talking about you know somebody oh, yeah. with nice skin right you know of course i do have a preference but personally i have no preference whether the guy is is a uh, charcoal or whether he is vanilla that's personally me and but i think that if somebody has what they consider to be a preference but it falls lockstep in the way that we've been conditioned to assume that euro eurocentric uh, aesthetics are better then that person should re-examine that but how do we determine that determine what that the that their preference is based on a eurocentric because standard. you uh, because you look at what the eurocentric standard says and you look at their preference and they align Man, see, so I now you know. wait so you say oh i like i like light-skinned boys with curly hair and straight noses well that is lockstep with what society <laughs> tells you is supposed to be an attractive man why don't i think it, at minimum wait. people should just re-examine it what? and see if they've been programmed rather than whether that's their true preference the man can't help how he was born. I'm if he was born light-skinned with curly hair and a straight nose, somebody no, got to like him. I think that's, no, no, but I think Unless, it's perfectly fine, but I think somebody should determine whether that's what they truly like or if they've been conditioned to like it. But how do we get to that determination? I shouldn't have to second-guess myself. If I'm looking at a beautiful person, I'm looking at a beautiful person. Now, for me to stop and say, hmm, I wonder if I'm only looking at them beautiful because they're light skinned and they have curly hair okay. or how you, how Whatever you the, said it mm -hmm. is it. Listen, if you're beautiful, you're beautiful. There's light skinned people with curly hair that ain't beautiful people. 
and that's and and then you know what's really interesting uh-huh. i'm just going to give you a little history mm-hmm. on my dad's side of the family i'd love i'd love to say that on both sides of my family we've always been conscious but that's not necessarily true right on my dad's side of the family my my dad's father <laughs> if he saw a light-skinned ugly woman he would <laughs> say all that yellow gone to waste gone to waste right and so <laughs> as if See? as if the, and See then and then there was this dark skinned girl that my father used to date um who they um nicknamed the sloop and um sloop yes you know look we're talking about baby boomers in the 60s anyway so they nicknamed her that right and so um my grandfather would look at her and say my gosh because unfortunately back then and even now there are dark-skinned women who are always being told you are gorgeous for a dark-skinned girl. Uh, now I think that dark skin should be. In, but I got that. And addition, yeah, you're <laughs> handsome for a dark. What do you mean for a dark-skinned man? If anything, melanin should be a benefit, not something that would take away from someone's beauty. But, but um, anyway, I don't know what I'm yeah. saying. All this to say that my gr- so there, there's there's this saying on within my father's uh, nuclear family, which is that. His father used to have a particular preference, quote unquote, preference for women, and then they would always say until he met the sloop, right? Wow. So they'll, they'll always be like, wow. "He used to think such and such was better until he, he met, met the, the sloop." sloop. <laughs> so, so the you know, but still, here you are in the situation back then and even now. Why right. has this come through generations where we haven't cast off? that type of conditioning even in 2019 well the images are definitely pushed um through television um and obviously it's it's being reinforced unfortunately Mm -hmm. through our people and slavery clearly has you know a role in that where even the the lighter slaves that could pass would you know have more benefits than the darker people so obviously when you want benefits then you're like, hey, I want to be as light as possible. However, we're in 2019. Mm-hmm. So some of those things shouldn't be taking place and shouldn't have to take place. But until we're taught a certain level of self-esteem, until we're taught a le- certain level of accepting your melanated skin, yeah. your blackness, embracing who you are and learning. And that doesn't necessarily, to me, have to do with skin color but to a degree it does, but that you have to learn to accept how God made you. Yes. Then we can begin to take progressive steps forward. But um, I would still say that there's this part of a curse that we're living in, that we are the only people in this world mm-hmm. that is affected this greatly by aesthetics and wanting to be like a particular race of people. Moray, speaking of self-esteem, one thing that I find interesting is that when we look at the condition of the black community, there are certain negative stereotypes that you see all the time. Right. Uh, People hanging on the corner or uh, a a wealth gap, a uh, educational gap. Correct. Obesity, whatever the stereotype is, poverty, things like that. And sometimes that impacts the self-esteem or group esteem that we see that a lot of us seem to have. Okay. Um, and and the the thing that's interesting though is that over the centuries there have been deliberate covert tactics, right? That have been 
instituted, even by the federal government, to make sure that we ended up, you know, in a deprived position. And, you know, it's really interesting how sometimes when we look at ourselves, especially when we judge ourselves by our worst, we can end up uh, having a self-esteem or self-image problem or even embarrassment about being black. When those conditions a lot of times came about because of covert tactics. So let me just use an example. I'm going to use the Black Panthers, which I'm sure you're familiar with this, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, back in the late 60s, the reason that the Black Panthers were needed in the first place, the reason they came together in the first place was because police brutality was happening and there was neglect of black children and they really wanted to uh, be to, to help resolve our issues in house, right? Instead of doing what we had always been blamed for doing, which is you know going to the government and asking for help. Yeah. So the Black Panther Party started a breakfast program, correct? Um, which that was part of protecting ourselves, yes, protecting our children, making sure they're well fed, mm-hmm. making sure that they were prepared to receive an education, yes. Because a lot of times there was distractions because of the fact that there were a lot of families that couldn't feed themselves. Mm-hmm. Come on, and they walked. Um, and they state we they started to help allow us and help us to defend ourselves correct um, by carrying weapons that were uh, legal to carry right so that we wouldn't be victimized all the time things by like police that. yes however during that same time the director of the FBI J Edgar Hoover yeah. had mm-hmm. uh, developed a um, uh, a, a program call that that's called Cointelpro, which mm-hmm. and Cointelpro was basically a covert means of going into black organizations like the Black Panther Party Correct. and disrupting it because they were concerned about too much power um, getting into the hands of a few to uplift this race. And th- these things, these are things that are documented in the Freedom of Information Act. Absolutely. So, um, so what in, what they ended up doing is that they infiltrated the Black Panther Party mm-hmm. with drugs, Right. With people who would um, cause uh, division or, or breakup of marriages. Right. Um, with a lot of things like that. And the only thing that the outside world saw was, well, man, that they started off so well. What happened to the Black Panther Party? Right. And it wasn't until decades later that people realized what was happening. So I'm just using that as an example mm-hmm. to say, you know, what do you I just really to ask what you have to say about that. um phenomena where sometimes we see things like criminality in our community or over policing or the result of of uh, redlining and things that have us in bad neighborhoods and stuff and instead of people realizing that some of these things were deliberate we fall back and say man how come we can't get it together well part of that is because we don't talk about our history because we're so ashamed of it wow we're taught the positive things that we do we're taught to not talk about it because they criminalize us. Okay. They teach us that, oh, yeah, you may have been doing this, but this is what was wrong with the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. Or you may have been doing this, but this is what was wrong with the Muslims. You may have been doing this, but this was the problem with the, the Christian movement. And even now, as a Hebrew Israelite, oh, yeah, the Israelites may be doing this, but mm-hmm. this is what's wrong with the Israelites. And they teach us mm-hmm. through media which they know that we are hooked to media, that, okay, now, if I can get you to question what you're doing, 
Maybe this may not be so good. Yeah, you did the breakfast program, but the breakfast program is not clearly not as popular as the fact that they're carrying weapons. And why would a black man need to carry a weapon? Hmm. That's the first thing that we've we've always questioned. We'd be like, oh, they they carrying weapons? Oh, they they they're fighting it back against the police. They actually the police is giving orders and they're not following the orders of what the the police do. Even though they were legally carrying weapons in Correct. a state like California, which had open carry clauses at that time, which right. the governor of that state, Ronald Reagan, decided to overturn as quickly as he could because could we were finally complying with that law. Not that they they were just shooting at cops and yeah. things of that nature, but they were teaching people to stand up exactly. for one another. And it's the same principles that all of these things happen. Whether you march or whether you carry a weapon, the very ideal is it's time for you to stand up for yourself and to be proud of who you are. And so there's certain inalienable rights yeah. that all of us are supposed to have, right? You'd be like a right to eat, a right to be who you are, the way you want Liberty, to be. Liberty, life, pursuit of happiness. And not to be harassed along the way. Yeah. <laughs> and so what we were taught and to speak of what you did, what, what we were taught and what they did is like, hey, listen, let's bring drugs into the community. They can't possibly be strong. Who can? Yeah, exactly. When you're being attacked by drugs. This is an opium war, just like the British did in China. Correct. Who's going to reason? Especially once addiction gets its hooks in you. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's you that it, it takes something supernatural to get off of an addiction. Right. Breaking up of families, which I think is purposeful. And it has generational impact. Correct. Um, it's not important to be married. You don't need him. The attack on, on women. Malcolm X said the most unprotected person in America is the black woman. Black woman. She's taught that she has to survive on her own and how to get along on her own. Meanwhile, we see white people that put a premium on having families, yes. being married, having children, and making sure your children have the proper education and things that they need so that they will be successful later. Why is that same agenda not pushed for black women mm -hmm. and black families? Mm -hmm. And so as we looked at these different things happening and as we see the different programs happening, they weren't the, the concern wasn't whether there was an uprising in America. The concern was whether these people were actually ready to unify. Yeah. Talking about the black That's nation. That's the threat right there. To, right. To get together and say, we're no longer going to be reliant on others. And so that when we look at the indoctrination that was going on, in order to successfully indoctrinate the people, J. Edgar Hoover, who, for what it's worth, even though it was wicked, masterfully oh, put yes. certain things in place put certain key things in place and killed certain leaders. Yes, including Fred Hampton, who was 21 years old. Exactly. Next to his pregnant wife. Yes. So that these things could not be fruitful later on. Yeah. Well, that shows you some of the insanity of, of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And that is you will look at these people and you will say, why don't you get yourself together? Why don't you become more self-sufficient and not government sufficient? But mm -hmm. then when you attempt to do those things, then there's a backlash. Mm -hmm. 
Right. It goes back throughout the annals of time in this continent, but specifically, especially earlier uh, in last century, before all of the events that we're talking about took place, mm-hmm. when it came to the Black Wall Streets. When you look at Tulsa, and mm-hmm. when you look at Durham, Rosewood, Rosewood, there's so many places yes. all, o- uh, all over the country, um, because of the fact that segregation was taking place, we had to be self-reliant. Right. And self-reliant we, we were. We own, 100 years ago, we owned more land than we do now. We have more banks than we than we do now. We have had more insurance companies, but that's because of that uh, self-reliance. And we, we actually lived in um, self-sustaining communities. Right. But either those communities bumped into the Great Depression or they bumped into race riots. Um, right. And there are a variety of, of, of issues that those communities ended up having. Um, and I don't know that we fully recovered, but I think it's really important for us to know, like you said, our history, so that we won't judge ourselves based on our worst. I just wanted to tell you something. Mm-hmm. One one issue that I have on social media, for example, okay. are these memes that, ah. that r- these memes, and, and it almost makes me think that there's some covert action taking place that some of these memes aren't even created by us, but they're created to cause confusion. Okay. Because what you'll have is a comparison. On the left side of the meme, you'll have a very well-dressed woman in the 1950s with her husband and family. Mm-hmm. And then on the right side of the meme, you'll have a scattered crazy looking woman from contemporary times with a bunch of children and no husband <laughs> and then the question Stabbing on the meme <laughs> yeah she'll, she'll you know her hair is in rollers all you know whatever yeah and then the question on the meme is what happened to us Right. And of course, we know because we know something about argumentation mm-hmm. uh, that that is a you know false comparison. There were uh, there were dignified people back then, and there sure. were there were people who were undignified back then. Yeah. Nowadays, there are both dignified and undignified people. But who's pushed what, in the media? That's what I'm saying. But what the meme is trying to express is as if we as a people went from that woman to what to, to from the woman on the left to the woman on the but right. It's a false comparison. Let, let me just let me just tell you that's been going on since the beginning of time. What's been going Even on? Even when oh excuse me, since the beginning of time, since the beginning of us landing in this country, how did they depict our women when they drew our women? Sarah Barton. Yeah. Um even to the fact of Aunt Jemima, like yes. I didn't notice it until it was pointed out to me. I'm like, this woman is on the front of a pancake box yeah. with a rag on her head. Yeah. Like, call it what it is. I used to be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, if she got her head tied down and this, that, and another. <laughs> but you're like, listen, we're supposed to be past racism and things of that nature. Why is it that you have a black woman on the front of a box, a popular pancake box yeah. that all of us use? Hey, yeah, well, you and you're like, <laughs> Aunt exactly. Jemima. Yeah. You're like, just, just the very name. And it's like, <laughs> what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Until somebody had to point out to us that this is what it is. And so that's how they drew us. Even in cartoons, the woman always had a rag on her head. She had on this big wide skirt and she was depicted as a house servant. Yeah. Some somehow around the kitchen serving somebody in some way, shape, or form, not as a professional, nope. not as somebody intellectually that could do X, Y, and Z. And so mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that the same way it was depicted then, 
is the same way it's depicted now. And we're not realizing that the narrative has not changed. Well, that's the thing. We need to take our story back. I think one thing that us black Americans have, or people that I know that a lot of us do not want to call ourselves African Americans, or mm -hmm. some people don't want to call ourselves black. Yeah, we, we have that struggle about what to call ourselves. Hebrew Israelites, what are we? But the point is, is that we have a public image issue. And I think that one thing that we are exporting to the rest of the world or mm -hmm. we're allowing to be exported about ourselves are stereotypes. Even the use of the N-word that a lot of recording artists will send to the rest of the world. Yeah. So we really need to address this indoctrination within ourselves so that what it is that we put out to the rest of the world matches who we really are. Just to say one quick thing. Yeah. You know, I, we own a little bit of this too. And I agree that, you know, people want us to look in a certain light. But now with social media, we can actually control yes, how people can. look at us. Yes, we can. And put out better pictures. And we have to consciously want, and as you were saying at the beginning, to push out these certain images and make sure people see it and things of that nature. As opposed to us to being half naked on Instagram yeah. and pushing memes about ignorance and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Where we stop and like when we embrace our blackness, when mm -hmm. we embrace our mel melanin, then people will see they're like, yeah, although this is what they're doing, although we've, although we have seen these type of pictures over there. Yeah we see that there is equally amount of dignified, respectable individuals that clearly are not depicting what we see over there. So as was mentioned in the last segment, the way that our public image goes out it really determines how we see ourselves. And again, it's extremely important for us to um, address that indoctrination so that we won't have as much self-hate. Okay. Um, but there is something going on in society, it has been happening for about a half a century, that is designed to compare black Americans with other minority groups. Okay. And what I'm talking about specifically is the model minority myth. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, Teaching Tolerance, an, an organization, um, explains it this way. The myth of the model minority is based on stereotypes. Mm -hmm. It perpetuates a narrative in which Asian American children are whiz kids or yeah. musical geniuses. Mm -hmm. Within the myth of the model minority, tiger moms force children to work harder mm -hmm. and be better than everyone else, while nerdy, effeminate dads hold prestigious positions in STEM industries like medicine and accounting. So just to get it back into history, basically during... Do you feel there's any truth to that? The truth to... I think think that the that uh, having Asians as a model minority um, is is true because we can see it in history okay. but I just want to get into the history of it so basically around the 50s and 60s during the uh, time that the modern civil rights movement was birthed mm -hmm. this model minority uh, tactic was actually a method used by the larger society mm -hmm. to be able to look at us and say black people why are you complaining Look at these immigrants that just got here with $3 sure. in their pocket. Look what they've been able to do. Why is it that you can't do the same? Mm -hmm. So that's when the model minority myth was birthed. And it kind of, it, it helped to indoctrinate not just us, but those, the, but Asian Americans and, other, and people of other ethnic groups, because instead of addressing the true issues, which is that we have been 
deliberately systematically oppressed for all of these centuries mm -hmm. and there's a reason that uh we have some of the conditions that we have instead of like demonstrating that that's really what's going on you shift the focus um you provide some additional resources for people coming from other countries to okay. succeed and then you say see there must be something wrong with you black folks because look at all these other people who are able to succeed uh, uh in this country where you haven't right so that's part of us not talking about our accomplishments. Okay. Creating HBCUs, um, something like the Black Wall Street. Mm -hmm. We, we Several often, of them. you know, I, I talk about this all the time. We talk about how Black Wall Street was destroyed, but we don't talk about how Black Wall Street was built. Yes. There's an issue there. I, I get it. We, we understand that it was a dark part of our history and that it was some racist things going on. But how come we can't get back to Black Wall Street? Because we don't talk about the things that actually made Black Wall Street successful. Deciding to have a bank, um, starting off with a food pantry and branching out into other things, having their own shoe store, having their own economic system set up, and telling each other we are required to spend our dollar within this community. Yes. Right? Same thing with HBCUs. HBCUs are... Great, greatly being affected right now in 2019. And so now there's a call for black athletes, premier black athletes, yes. to play for HBCUs mm -hmm. so that the money that they're losing can actually come. Because it said if, if all the black athletes decided to play for HBCUs, Forget about it. it'd be like all of those white prestigious universities <laughs> and things of that nature, nobody would go watch them because they'd all be at HBCUs. And so we don't understand the power of our dollar, right? Mm -hmm. We don't understand what we need to do. And when we try to tell each other, hey, listen, we actually have the ability to do it. You just have to believe it. Yeah. We actually shy away from that. And the greater question is, why do why do we like refuse to believe that? So as far as the the model minority, mm -hmm. I get it. There's there's certain things we do to ourselves, but there's definitely an agenda that they push out there, and that oh, yeah. is the reality is is that they get loans far quicker, far easier than people who have already been in the country. And so then they ask you be like, well, if they can get a loan, why can't you get a yeah. loan? That's like asking the question, be like, well, if they can get a job, why can't you get a job? And you're like, yeah, that is the question I'm asking. How come when I apply for a job exactly. and you see Raekwon Smith on an application, <laughs> well, that's it. you know, you're just like, oh, let's put this application to the side. Yeah. But he's coming from another country and you may not be able to pronounce his name, but you say, hey, Let's give him a shot. And then there's a, it's a self-perpetuating cycle because if Raekwon Smith can't get a job or if he becomes underemployed and then he and his wife have children, then, you know, the cycle will continue and continue while somebody coming from somewhere else who's more highly regarded a couple generations later, they own the business that the descendant of the former is working for. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So this is really important because I like the way that you said we need to look back at our history and 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 focus on the many accomplishments that Correct. we've had because uh, we, especially when black history month comes and unfortunately a lot of times we spend uh that month talking about it as opposed to doing so the whole year but so many mm. patents i'm talking about from the 1700s so many inventions so but many patents so many scientific developments can i say this too yeah 
No problem. We we need to not only celebrate our accomplishments, but actually establish a goal. Okay. Like, hey, listen, those those accomplishments happened, and we can talk about it during Black History Month. But now, what are we gonna do? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, listen, if if we need to reestablish the HBCU one at a time, let's do that. If we stop and we say, hey, listen, this is how we're going to bank. This is what we're going to do with our dollar. Yes. One at a time. Let's do that. Unfortunately, we don't do enough of that. And you know why? Because as soon as we start doing something, we tell ourselves, oh, it ain't going to work. Well, that's or, what causes me to be really, really encouraged. Because right now you have people like Killer Mike and mm-hmm. T.I. and various other people who yes. are celebrities and people mm-hmm. who have a platform. David Banner. Correct. Um, who, in spite of some of the lyrics that they spit out in David the past, yes. um, they've decided to grow up and become grown men. Right. And you see the type of impact that they're having. I like see for just today I was watching The Breakfast Club and mm-hmm. um, and Swiss Beats was on. Mm-hmm. And he, he he just makes me really, really proud in terms of his business acumen mm-hmm. and, and his accomplishments, uh, not just graduating from Harvard, but having a lot of uh, business uh, um, uh, developments going on within various companies and brands that he's that he's developed and that he's continuing to develop that are outside of music. Right. So the great thing is that we're living at a time where because of social media, we're becoming more aware of what a lot of people are doing. And it's really important, though, that when we talk talk about our accomplishments that we develop a balance that we don't always have to talk about you know the quote-unquote hood mm-hmm. what about the people going into the quote-unquote hood and reinvesting because we have that as well well i've been saying this about hip-hop for years okay we understand that there's an image you portray when you're doing your music just let people see the other side of you okay. after you finish doing your music mm-hmm. we're we're buying your albums with well not buying albums anymore. Yeah, right. right. So in 2009, we're streaming, <laughs> streaming your music. Exactly. You know, we're doing everything that we got to do. Yeah. But let people see that other side. Let I give LeBron James a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. He lets people see his entrepreneurial side. Yes. He lets people know what he's doing. And so there's sometimes where people like try to stay behind the scenes, but you don't have to be outwardly like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Just put your name on it and let people know you're doing something positive. Yes. So that when those things happen, people go, oh, listen. Black people are doing something. Our people are trying to make something happen, and this is something that I want to be part of. Um, one of I think one of the greatest strengths of Al Sharpton, okay. I think that he does is he's always making people aware that there's a better way for us to do things. It's just that we have to want to be a part of what's going on. Yeah. And so part of that is in order for me to be a part of what's going on. I need to know what's happening. Yes. And so sometimes awareness needs to be raised. Right. And so as you know, I always talk about our podcast and making sure that we advertise properly and things of that nature. So people could tune in. Well, Hey, listen, you know, we got social medias at our hands. It's free. Let's make sure that we're making each other aware of the different things happening and staying in our circles to make sure that we know the things that's for us, the things that will enhance us, 
Let's make sure we get that information out to one another so that people can make better choices concerning their lives. And in so doing, uh, we can concern ourselves less and less with these types of stereotypes and the ways that we've been conditioned and the whole model minority myth and people pitting African people against African Americans, against oh, Caribbean man. Americans and against Afro Latinos. Right. We don't, ha- we don't, ha- we don't even have to think about that anymore when we're focused on being progressive and moving forward. We know mm-hmm. for a fact that African Americans have been in this country for all this time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you have a past like that, when you were brought to a country to be a beast of burden, there's mm. going to be a uh, discrimination against you that is that lasts, you know, for a millennia. Right. Whereas somebody who is new and comes from another country, Jamaica, South Korea, wherever, is literally walking off of the plane, off of the backs of those civil rights workers to mm. benefit <laughs> from right. the from the things that those civil rights workers have allowed right. and to move on and to shine while the people who reflect those who came to this country to be beasts of burden are being discriminated against. We understand all of that. There's really no reason to make a comparison. I like what you're saying which is let's 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 look at what we've done and what we're doing right now and right. move forward and stop getting into these arguments. Right. And a lot of times is, you know, you get more done with positivity than negativity. Yeah. So you know, continue. Not that we should stop the conversation, but to stay to stay in slavery and you know, understanding your past and know the future. Mm-hmm. Yes, you must. You must know your past and know your future, but you also must make a blueprint for your future. Yes, and that's the that's the step we're not taking. Create the blueprint. Let's get to the future. And let's talk about what we're going to do to move forward. Moray, another thing that has been happening for a long time in terms of the ways that we've been indoctrinated regarding race is perception of the continent of our ancestors. Right. Um, Africa has been called the dark continent. Mm -hmm. I took a look at a source called Thought Co. And it basically says, over the years, people have given lots of reasons why Africa was called the dark continent. Mm. And ultimately, race does lie at the heart of this myth, but it's really that Europeans viewed Africa as savage. And they used that uh, idea as a justification for going in and raping Africa of its resources. It's human resources Mm -hmm. as well as its natural resources. And those things are still being taken from the continent. But what they left Africa's descendants with is a negative view of the place of their ancestry so that we would be separated uh, in terms of our heritage and our identity Mm -hmm. from the continent of our ancestors Mm -hmm. and we would turn around and despise the place that we were from. Um, In my opinion, that narrative was set from the time of colonization Mm -hmm. so that they would have a reason to enter the continent even mm. though it is well understood that the beginning of life, as we know it, yeah. began on that continent and everybody else branched out. And so when they stop and they say, oh, well, these are savage people. Um, this is what they're doing. When we see Africa on TV, we see hungry children. Yes. We see desert parched land. We're like, who wants to live there because all these things are going on? Yet, consistently, conveniently, 
traveled by Europeans yes. forever stop and say, oh, this is where we need to get our natural resources. This is where we want to control the diamonds. This is where we want to control the gold. We understand their natural resources are there, and this is what we're going to do with these resources. Why is it that they wanted to look in a certain place? Because they're, they're actually putting out the message that, these people aren't doing anything with, with it that. there. Yes, It'd just like, like they did in this continent with the Native and, Americans. Right, and because they're underdeveloped, because they're walking around half naked with grass on, skirts on. On the, on the, on the equator. Mm-hmm. Right, killing each other, that this is what's going on. But I sit down and say, that's the same narrative for us here in America, mm-hmm. that these are people who are walking around half naked Mm -hmm. these are these are people who don't want to take advantage of the resources that's around them and so this is why we're dealing with them the way that we're dealing with them but as far as the dark continent goes we understand that there's a rich history of powerful nations Mm -hmm. that dwelt on the continent that still do dwell on the continent and that what they've done is indoctrinated the people of the continent oh, no doubt to make them believe that hey listen i'm your friend and i'm here for your well-being but in truth they're trying to destroy the people of the continent and take it for the natural resources that god has put on that continent the things you just said are so loaded and we could be here for a long time but i just wanted to mm-hmm. say that i think it is interesting that when you look at the history of the contact between Europe and Africa right. for the majority of that time, especially when you look at primary resources, there was awe that Europeans had toward Africa, mm. a high regard uh, about sure. Africa. When you look at East Africa and Northeast Africa and mm-hmm. the Nubians and the fact that um, that the Nile flows north Right. And when the when the Nile flows north, you know where the ancient people from Kemet or Egypt got their technologies from. Correct. And then when uh, the Europeans came and saw Great Zimbabwe Mm -hmm. and when they saw Benin City, which could be seen from outer space because Mm -hmm. we could see from, you know, from the stratosphere right now, the dimensions of that city, which is the largest walled city on Earth. So anyway, when you look at all those primary resources, up until about 500 years ago, there was a lot of praise for Africa. Correct. But around the time that Europe said, wait a second, we want our personal interests to be advanced through right. going down into Africa and trading in enslaved people mm-hmm. and, um, and taking the, 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 the mineral wealth from this place. At that point, suddenly Africa is uh, a dark continent and right. it is full of savage people who can't do for self. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you look early on, you see the, the depictions of, of Europeans at African court with, with African monarchs. And, and there was a regard for these advanced societies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that the societies were advanced even during colonization because where are the relics? Where are Where is the, the ancient artwork right now? Even to this day in Parisian and right. uh, in English museums. museums. And they, by yes. the way, for, uh, uh, have, for, have decided not to return right. a lot of these artifacts. Right. So 
so it's really, really, really convenient. But you're right. You mentioned a, a statement earlier, mm-hmm. which said that that they have even convinced Africans. What happens, and this is the wickedness of it. What happens mm-hmm. is that when you go and you decide to colonize a place, all you have to do is convince these people to take on your language and your religion and sure. your culture. You have to do that for maybe two generations mm-hmm. until the people who remember the former ways die out, and then the contemporary people don't even know about their their ancient past right and so what ends up happening is is that the continent begins to change and then the thought process of the people begin to change yes and so they don't even understand what they're no longer they no longer understand what they're fighting for they're like well why did my parents push against this when there's actually benefit here yeah you know like who wants to be an outcast, right? That's what they that's how they teach us about indoctrination. Be like, well, I don't want to feel like I'm a stranger or I'm an alien. So if I can make you be ashamed of how you look, yeah. If I can be ma- if I can make you ashamed of where your home actually is, what what do you want to go back to Africa for? Hmm. You know what's over there? Dirt. You, you, you want to go live out of a grass hut? Yeah. Do you want to have to go and to gather water out of the ground to bring it back to your home just to drink? <laughs> you want to go back to using outhouses as if that's what's going on in Africa? Yeah. But that's the agenda that's being pushed. That's the narrative that's being pushed that we stop and we believe. We're like, oh, listen, if I go over there, they, they ain't even got refrigeration over there. <laughs> refrigeration. And it's yeah. 2019. And you're like, you can't. You shouldn't be that ignorant yeah. that that's what's going on. You'd be like, "There's technology over there. They just don't want you to believe yeah. that it's like that." And so when they, the same way that they they have taught us that there's benefit in Eurocentric perceptions, yeah, is the same way that we have to cause our children to believe and understand and know that there's benefit in Afrocentric perception, that there's benefit in having your own land and owning your own, that God has established us on a continent in such a way that he gave us all the resources that we need. So we have to go back and take it for ourselves. I even say, um, who is it? Robert Mugabe. Yeah. Who, um, Zimbabwe, who just died. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Died. Even for himself, he believed who's a Pan Africanist. Mm-hmm. He was like, "This is our continent, and this is going to be for us." Now yeah. he had his shortcomings. <laughs> I'm not gonna say everything was perfect about him. Yeah. But guess what? He was a step in the right direction, and that's what people needed to believe. He stopped and he retaught his people. He stopped and he reeducated them from the miseducation of the world. Stop and say, "Hey, listen." Take back this land and utilize this land. Make sure you understand with this land that it's for you. And, hey, listen, if we're going to call it the dark continent, it's not dark in the sense that it's dark like it's no good. Yeah. This is the dark continent because the dark people, the melanated people, own this continent. And this is where we started. And this is where we're going to finish. This is why I'm so encouraged by what we're experiencing right now, which is the year of return. Mm -hmm. And I love how Ghana's tourism um, uh, division really jumped on that. They saw there was 2019 Mm -hmm. and 1619, you know, was when the first uh, enslaved Africans were brought to English North America. And so um, I don't understand why some other countries more than just Ghana didn't jump 
jump on that. But I'm, I'm proud of Ghana for doing that. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, our generation is in the Back to Africa movement now. But this is something that happens with every, has happened with every generation. My mother and her sister went to Africa back in the early 70s. 70s and yes. then you go all the way down to Marcus Garvey, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I love what this particular um, uh, year represents because one thing that I'm seeing a lot are the pictures of the people, not just Steve Harvey who just came back, but right. the pictures of, of people going to Dakar, Senegal, or Accra, Ghana, and mm. various other places, and, and what they're showing. You know, yes, you, there's balance in Africa, but they're showing the beaches, Right. That Europeans have been enjoying for all this time when Americans have refused to go right. and showing the resorts and showing in in uh, in Senegal that big um, uh, that 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 big uh, a statue of the black family. Okay. Um, uh, the, I think it's called the Renaissance and just all these great, incredible places and in views of this continent so that it, it won't just be China that goes in and, and is the next, you know, uh, foreign mm -hmm. uh, organization or a foreign um, uh, country that runs organizations that are taking pieces of Africa. But we can also go right. and say, okay, let's let's do our part to see our, our people and our cousins, which is what they are, thrive right. again. So we're living in some really good times in which we can actually counteract the indoctrination that we've been experiencing. Okay, so Miss Eve. Yeah. How'd you feel about this talk? Wow. Of indoctrination. I really enjoyed it. I mean, of course, indoctrination is something that's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of allowing a group of people to live and thrive and be who they are, they're actually deliberate efforts to completely flip their perception, their self-perception and their perception about their place in the world that actually impacts people generationally instead of allowing them to, al to let their talents um you know, soar and, and, and fully develop and realize who they are. But I like talking about it because when we raise awareness of the ways that we've been indoctrinated, we can actually do something about it. Okay. I, I always love the conversation. I think it's important for us to have these type of conversations because then it leads to action. It leads to people being inspired. It leads to people who stop and say, hey, listen, I want to be an entrepreneur and I need to be an entrepreneur. It leads to people to stop and say, hey, listen, I want to give my money to my brother and my sister and I want to understand how I can keep my dollar in my community. Mm -hmm. It leads people to say, like, hey, listen, you need a job? All right, I got a job for you. And you know what? I'm going to make sure I employ my own. Yes. Right. You know, it's like that. Talk about that HBCU. And I tell, I'm always going to talk about education because I'm like, hey, listen, we are going to be the only ones that educate ourselves adequately. Yes. To the point that allows us to understand what we need to do and how to bring it back to our community. And clearly people haven't been teaching that, you know, yeah. to other people haven't been teaching that to us. So these type of conversations when we talk about indoctrination, um, to your point, if we don't make people aware of how they're being indoctrinated, then all they do is sit and they don't even realize what they're going through. They're you, like, perpetuate, oh. you, you perpetuate um, uh, certain mindsets and ideas. You pass it on to your children and it continues until someone actually says, this must stop. Correct. And so as we talk about aesthetics and, you know, we talk about um, 
just the different things as far as being on the dark continent and you know I always talk about Marcus Garvey yeah and you know him pushing in the early 1900s mm-hmm. about us going back to Africa and the African continent being for African people yes things of that nature that we have to ensure that that message gets back out that we're constantly pushing it so that people actually know what we can do and that after 400 years of being on this continent that we understand what our next step is so i definitely say that that's what we exactly need to do continue to have that conversation continue to talk with one another and inspire one another to do better okay so listeners please remember to click the subscribe button so that you'll know about new episodes from beneath the surface and tell your own circle about what we're doing and how we can be better as a people. Definitely. If you're listening via Apple Podcasts, please give us as many stars as you can. And if you're on Twitter, Instagram, or any other social media platform, we won't complain one bit <laughs> if you link and share this episode with your friends and followers. Well, we're really thankful that you've joined us, Thank family. Thank you so much. And until next time, keep up the good work out in your own respective spheres of influence. It is definitely nation, nation time. time. Never, ever forget peace and blessings.